So I think, you know, looking back just through all of that, I would have liked to tell myself like, maybe these extremes aren't so good for you. And there's not one solution or one diet that's going to be like the it thing. And I feel like when people are in that phase, they're like, okay, this, this is the next one. Like this next one is going to be it. This is going to be, this is going to change my body. This is going to make me feel amazing. Like, and I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I think that black and white thinking is where people start to go down the wrong path because then you don't listen to your body and you're so like dogmatic about your diet that you can't really see any other solutions. Welcome everyone to Life is Lisa podcast. Our mission at Life is Lisa is to share people's stories and the challenges that they have overcome so that those who are listening in can get the strength, the courage, and the hope to be their better selves. Today, we have a very inspiring guest because she's the one who decided to use one of the greatest challenges she has faced herself as a tool for serving others, as a source of her passion. She experienced some of the most severe gut health issues and decided up to the point when it was no longer bearable to dive deeper into this world and to heal herself. And her healing journey was so inspiring that she just could not hold this knowledge to herself and wanted to share everything with the rest of the world and to help other people heal. Now she is the founder of Graceful Wellness and is coaching hundreds of other, thousands of other people to heal and be healthy and leave, be able to live life. Grace, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful introduction. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm really excited. It's a, oh, I'm, I'm so happy to be, uh, to have you as a guest because actually I wanted to raise awareness about gut health. And I know you were mentioning that you spent time with a lot of people who already talk a lot about gut health. And I feel like some people talk a lot about it and are aware and some other people have no idea about it and take so many things for granted as just, you know, when you don't feel well, or they think it's completely normal to feel bloated and very tired and it's just how they are. So that they don't even realize that it is some, it's influenced by something that they eat. And that's why I wanted to start by diving deeper into your journey and how you actually even came across gut health and it being a thing. Yeah. It's so funny because now I feel like gut health is such like a trending topic, at least in my corner of the internet. Um, but I do forget, like people don't really know what it is, or they just think that the way their body is feeling is normal and they don't think that there's a solution or ways to feel better. Um, I kind of stumbled across it because I mean, I was dealing with it for a couple of years before I actually realized it was a thing and realized like, oh, maybe like my digestion or like the symptoms that I'm having are all connected because the gut is really the center of our health for so many people. And when that starts to deteriorate, so many other aspects of our health start to deteriorate with it. Um, and I think it takes a little bit of knowledge to understand the connection between everything. But my journey started maybe like seven or eight years ago now. And I was dealing with it for a long time um, before I actually started to realize that I needed to change something. So, Myself, like I think a lot of women, I went through a lot of phases of trying different diets, um, 
swinging from one way to the other, you know, eating very little, then eating too much, um, trying vegan, paleo, keto, whatever. Like I literally tried everything and I fell upon the vegan diet at one point, um, which there's nothing wrong with that diet, but just for my body, it, it ended up not being great. And so I was vegan for a number of years. And then after a little bit of time, my period started getting all out of whack. My hair started falling out. My energy just tanked. My I had so much brain fog. And I just like could not digest any food without being like super bloated mm-hmm. and uncomfortable. And it got to the point where like I couldn't eat anything without having these horrible symptoms. And so I took a food sensitivity test and did a bunch of other things to try and figure out like what was really wrong with me. And I ended up finding out that I had a candida overgrowth. And so through figuring that out and doing my own research and doing like the candida diet and protocol with a bunch of supplements and everything, I completely healed myself. And I just felt like an entirely new person after a couple months. And through that and through all my research, I decided to become certified to be a holistic nutritionist. And so I did that whole thing. And now I help women with similar issues that I went through um, and a ton of other things like hormone conditions, uh, autoimmune disorders, all that sort of stuff. So that's basically the premise. <laughs> that's just the story in the nutshell. <laughs> it was like seven, eight years in the media and it was not that logical and straightforward. <laughs> just in the way you just said, then this happened and then I decided to try this and then that worked. And then <laughs> I'm sure the actual story was way more messy and way more emotions were involved there and way more uncertainty and you just tried to figure it out. And the, the interesting part about you switching diets and, for example, going on a vegan diet or vegetarian diet, I was wondering, because you mentioned that at one point the eating just became unbearable and you were having so many different symptoms, but in the beginning, did you feel good when you were trying out or eating those different foods or did you just not listen to your body what it was already fe- that it was already not feeling well or how... What, where was that, that part? If you could go back and talk, t- tell something to your younger self, what would you say? Yeah, you know, I think that at the time I was so disconnected from my body because I was like jumping around different things. And I think my baseline at the time was like, I just don't really feel that good. But I thought it was mm. kind of, and I was also in college and I was like drinking and partying and my body was more resilient at the time because I was like, you know, a teenager in my early 20s. And, um, so I think my baseline at that point was generally just like, I don't feel amazing, but I feel fine. Um, and when I started the vegan diet, I honestly felt really good at first, like for the first couple Mm -hmm. of years, I was like, this is fine. Like, I feel, I feel good. I think my energy was a little bit lower than it should have been, but it wasn't anything noticeable at the time. And then I think in like year three and year four is when I really started to see, the effects of my health. So I think, you know, looking back just through all of that, I would have liked to tell myself, like, maybe these extremes aren't so good for you. And there's not one solution or one diet that's going to be like the it thing. And I feel like when people mm-hmm. are in that phase, they're like, okay, this, this is the next one. Like this next one is going to be it. This is going to be, this is going to change my body. This is going to make me feel amazing. Like And I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I think that black and white thinking is where people 
start to go down the wrong path because then you don't listen to your body and you're so like dogmatic about your diet mm-hmm. that you can't really see any other solutions or things that aren't like working for you at the time. Mm. That's so interesting. And also what's interesting for me that you mentioned, there's not like one diet that would actually fit you, but also I think the biggest misconception is if something works for somebody else, let's say somebody, something works greatly for your best friend, it, it doesn't mean that it will work for you at all. It, it can actually have the opposite effect, something that works so, so well for someone can be harming and damaging to you, to your gut, to your energy levels. And I find it quite tricky to navigate because personally, I started learning more and more about health and just there's so much information out there and so much of it is even opposing each other. So some, you know, you can hear and read about all the benefits of the vegan diet and then you can read and hear all the benefits about all meat diet and you can hear and you're, you're just really strong. You actually become overwhelmed with so much information. It's not like there's too little information. You don't know there's too much and you're just trying to find what is true. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how you approach it in your studies when you were certifying for a holistic nutritionist. How did you approach Conformance confronted so much knowledge and finding the truth in it. Yeah. So I love this topic because I think just in general, like as a society, like we are always reaching out for other things, like always trying to gather more information and like do so much research and like read all the studies and whatever. But if you look at like the history of research and like science, it's like, there's a new thing that comes out every couple of years. That's like, this is actually what's bad for you. This is what's killing everyone and causing disease. And it's like the opposite of what they said 10 years ago. So it's like when we're constantly looking for these answers externally, as far as nutrition, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Like, I think we need to go through periods of trial and error and like look within ourselves and like really listen to our bodies and understand like what mm. makes you as an individual feel good because like you said, there's vegan diets, there's carnivore diets and someone on a vegan diet, like that might've cured all of their like things that they were dealing with. And then people on the carnivore diet, like that cured everything that they were dealing, dealing with. So it's like, everyone's body is so different. And no matter how much research you do or how educated you are on things, like the way that they do studies, like, you know, like all of the confounding factors, like there's just so much nuance in this stuff like there's never going to be one answer. Like you're never going to find the solution Mm -hmm. unless you like actually take the time to listen to your body and like try different things. Mm. And if someone would want to try and just to basically get to know themselves and what works for them, what would be the best way to find out which diet works for them or which foods work for them? Because I also heard in your posts and in the information that you shared that insensitivities and intolerances are not the best way to find it out because the answer to everything is it depends. Yeah, it's hard because, I mean, as far as gut health goes with sensitivities and like allergies and sensitivities are different things. So like you can have an allergy to things and have like, like you really need to avoid that food because you're literally allergic to it. But when you have a sensitivity, most of the time it's more about the state of your gut and the state of your digestive system rather than that food. So like when I was dealing with my issues, when I took that food sensitivity test, it was like 20 to 30 foods 
that showed up that I was sensitive to. And it was everything that I was eating at the time. And I wish someone back then had told me like, you're sensitive to these foods because your digestive system is out of balance. It's not the spinach. It's not the strawberries. It's not like the cashews that are, that are damaging your gut health and damaging your health. It's like the state of your digestive system. Um, so I think that's like the shift that we need to look at. And when people are first like starting out trying to figure out like what it is that's bothering them, there is a phase where, you know, you should probably eliminate gluten and dairy and like maybe a couple other things that you know are really bothering you just to lower the inflammation. Um, but that's a temporary thing and that shouldn't last forever. And then we need to focus on like repairing the root cause of like why this is happening in the first place. And that's where you start to see the healing happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I really loved uh, when I discovered you and about your approach is that you're actually really looking for the root cause. Because if you just treat the symptoms, you'll forever be treating the symptoms. So I love that when you actually address the root cause, then the actual problem and something that's causing those all the issues, the acne or the skin rashes or whatever it is that you're feeling will actually disappear and you don't need to treat that. You just need to address the root cause. So how, what, would, what, what are some of the questions that somebody can ask when they're looking for the root cause? Yeah, that's a really good question. I usually ask, like, let's think back to when you started getting symptoms. Like what was happening around that time? Did you go through a really traumatic, like stressful event? Did you move? Were you on any new medications? Did you travel somewhere and maybe picked up like a parasite? Did you have a drastic shift in your diet? Um, Like all of these things cause a change, like surgery, like anything that is a big change in your life or something new that you've introduced might've been the root cause of like, why this started. So I always like try and trace back a little bit and like, let's think about what happened when you started feeling shitty and then we'll go from there. <laughs> and do people usually remember when they started feeling shitty? Because maybe it's been, you know, it's there, it's been their state for so long that they don't remember feeling good anymore. <laughs> it depends. Some people, there's usually like, there's usually a buildup. So Sometimes I get people that are like, I've been feeling like this for 10 years, or I've been feeling like this for my whole life. Mm. And in those cases, I mean, you can trace it back to literally birth. Like when you, for example, if you're born like vaginally or through a C-section, that affects Mm. your microbiome. If you have, if you're a C-section baby, when you're born, you're not going through the birth canal and acquiring the bacteria from your mother. And so that can affect your digestion. Like there's a ton of different things and you can literally trace it back to the way that you were born. So it really depends on the person. That's so crazy. That's so crazy that just the way you you were born can affect your gut health and your microbiome so much and to that extent. And yeah, you just like basically you were born with it. How do you even know then how to feel better? It's, It's absolutely crazy. It's crazy. I and didn't it can know. Really, it, Please go ahead. I was just saying it can get really complicated, but a lot of people like, I mean, even if you were a child and you were formula fed rather than breastfed or you were on antibiotics when you were young for whatever reason, like that stuff, it, it does have an effect later down the line. And sometimes it doesn't show up until you're like in your twenties. 
but it can mm-hmm. go back to that the time being the root cause yeah you know just something something so complex as us human beings are just so incredibly complex and we just like take it so lightly like you know you can take antibiotics or like paracetamol or you're not feeling bad you're feeling bad you take some pills and you're messing up with this very complex organ you don't even know what systems you engage in and then something I, i would never say that something as gut has so many influences on our overall body and state and then i started noticing i started making this connection personally between food and how i feel like what I ate and how I feel. And that was the mind blowing um, connection for me because I remember then I ate something sugary. So with lots of sugar, let's say, and I would become literally more irritable. My, I would have a mood, like mood swings and things like that. And I was like, of course it's something happening around me. It cannot be something that I ate influencing how I feel. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my God, every time I eat something sugar, exactly that happens. <laughs> It's crazy. And that happens to me too. Like when I have too much sugar, I get like anxious. I get more irritable. Like I get brain fog and it's like, dang it. I can't eat sugar because it makes me feel like this. And I, I do eat sugar, but like, you know, when you eat too much of, of certain things, you start to notice the effects of it. So yeah, there is a huge um, correlation there. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. And actually, I received a few questions that are very interesting also from um, my audience. And I also wanted to use this opportunity to ask them. So also lots of them relate to foods and what people can or cannot eat. So yeah. Christina is asking, I love cheese. And sadly, it makes me bloat. Any advice or any healthy cheese brands I can eat or try? <laughs> Yeah. So most of the time, well, there's a couple of reasons this happens. So lactose intolerance can either be like a genetic thing or something that happens when your gut health kind of goes awry. And there are certain enzymes that actually break down the lactose. And so if you can't digest cheese, it's probably like a, a lactose enzyme deficiency. So you could supplement with digestive enzymes or just like try and improve your overall gut health and see if that helps. If you're someone who's been dealing with, you know, like you can't eat dairy for your entire life, probably just not going to be the best for you. But in my opinion, like if you get grass fed cheese, that's probably the best option because conventional dairy just isn't the best because you know, the cows are fed antibiotics and stuff like that. So if you get grass fed organic um, dairy, I think that can be, Mm. that can be helpful. So maybe try that out and see what happens. Yeah. Cool. You know, what's very interesting. I was, I recently came across the, the legal terms that they can use on different foods. Like for example, like organic or, um, what was it? Free range. So for example, free range chickens and actually by legal, by law, it means that they have been outside for, uh, at least five minutes a day. So they can be just outside for five minutes and that's it. And that the hole that they can get out is like enough to fit one chicken. Yeah. So it's crazy and it means free range. So I, I find it just quite crazy that you can be buying a certain thing and thinking that, you know, free range, at least it ate well and, you know, it was taken, being taken proper care of and it's complete marketing. So with, that's why it's so important, the pasture race, the terminology that you use uh, or um, grass fed, just because otherwise 
you would think you're going for a healthy or even like you can be paying more for that option, but actually it's not even that good for you because they still fed or antibiotics or hormones or we're not outside enough or we're stressed. And then I feel like you feel stressed because I feel like you become what you eat. So if you eat someone, something that was felt with fed antibiotics, you also will get those antibiotics. If the animal was stressed, you'll also get the stress. I don't know if you um, came across and also found that tricky. It's so tricky. I mean, everything these days is marketing and it's like on any products, not just like eggs or, you know, meat. It's like, I think the term is like greenwashing. Like they say, like it's, this product is like a greenwash, which means it's like the marketing makes it seem like it's really healthy, but it's actually not. Um, and when it comes to that, it's, I, I'm just like, you know, do your best because we're never going to get it perfect. And there's so many marketing tactics and it's so confusing and so tricky. And like, we're being misled in so many different ways. And so it's good to educate yourself, but also like not overstress on the tiny little details because, you know, mm. stress is huge and just like do your best. It's hard. Yeah. I just, I, I remember, you know, when you said, uh, like, just do your best, it's, there's this reel that was going viral. It was saying, what do you do in life? Like, my best, my best. <laughs> Seriously. I'm just doing my best. <laughs> best I can. Um, so another question that was super interesting was, uh, Flora mentioned, I'm bloating during and after period. How can we balance and ease our guts with nutrition? Is there actually something happening around our period that's connected with our gut? Or would you refer this generally to the gut health? Um, there's a couple things. So during, during your period, obviously, like you're getting bloated because, you know, you're on your menstrual cycle and you're holding water and, you know, your ovaries are a little bit more like swollen and inflamed. So you're going to get bloating there. Um, but there's actually something called prostaglandins. I'm pretty sure that I pronounced that right. I'm not really sure. Um, but what these do, it's like, it causes your uterus to shed and it kind of contracts your uterus. And that yeah. also can make your digestion become a little off because it can also cause that contracting sensation in your colon. And so some people find a little bit more digestive distress around their periods for that reason. Mm. So are there any foods that you should eat to soothe your gut at the time? Or is it just, it doesn't have much to do with your gut or digestion, it's just your period in itself? Yeah. I mean, that's such a huge question. It's like, there's so many things that you can do for your gut health, but around your period, I mean, I think it's mostly going to be being more gentle on your body having like warming mm. foods, like maybe bone broth, tea, like cooked vegetables, um, and be a little like easier on yourself during that time. But I mean, there's so much you can do for It's mostly about like eliminating the foods that are causing the inflammation and then adding in like mm. foods that are really nutritious that are, you know, just making sure that you're getting all of the nutrition that you need and not stressing out too much. I guess would be my answer for mm. that. Mm. Cool. Thank you so much. And the last question from the audience was somebody asked, um, it was Teresa, how to increase stomach acid. And before we answer this question, why would someone in the first place want to increase their stomach acid? 
Yeah. Oh, I love this question. So a huge misconception, because I mean, there's so many people that are on acid blockers, right? Like you take Tums or something to like soothe your stomach acid when you're having like a stomach ache or whatever. Like so many people just take acid blockers and you should not be doing that most of the time. Um, acid blockers, you're actually only, they were originally only supposed to be used for like a month maximum. And now people are on them for years and years and years. And that causes That's so crazy. many, yeah, it causes so many issues down the line. And a lot of the times when you have acid reflux, you would think like, oh, I have too much stomach acid, but actually it's the opposite. Most of the time you don't have enough and it's actually just the sphincter in your esophagus that is dysfunctioning that's causing the acid to come up and then you have the symptom but it's not necessarily that you have too much stomach acid so stomach acid first of all is like the first line of defense for our digestive system so say you went out and ate sushi and in that sushi there was potentially like a parasite or an opportunistic bacteria that you ingested if you don't have enough stomach acid that is going to be able to get into your digestive system and like take hold of you. But if you have enough stomach acid, the pathogen or parasite or whatever is much less likely to make it through that line of defense mm -hmm. of your stomach acid. And so that's one reason why it's really, really important. The other reason is it, you just need it to break down food, especially protein. And so if you mm -hmm. don't have enough stomach acid, you're going to be getting <clears throat> bloating and digestion. You're going to feel like food is just sitting in your stomach. And then it's going to ferment and cause all of these issues. So stomach acid is actually really, really, really important. So that's probably why she asked, because she knows. <laughs> <laughs> so how does one increase stomach acid? Yeah, so there's a number of ways. The most like basic natural ways is like chewing your food enough. I think a lot of people just <laughs> eat really, really fast and don't like chew. Um, and digestion starts in the mouth. So like when you start to chew your food, your body starts to secrete digestive enzymes and stomach acid. And so if you're like chewing twice and then swallowing your body, you're not giving yeah. your body enough time to actually do that. <laughs> so um, chewing enough, eating more slowly, um, not drinking like a ton of water or liquids during your meals that can also blunt stomach acid and digestive enzymes. You could do like a shot of apple cider vinegar diluted before your meals. That'll help stomach acid. Um, and you can also take a supplement for like a couple months just to help mm. your body like rebuild that. It's really, really important. And I find a lot of times like my clients come to me with all these issues. And the first thing I usually do is put them on uh, like an enzyme blend and a stomach acid support. And I find like 90% of their symptoms go away after just that. So mm. It's huge. That's crazy. I, yes. I can I just mention that I absolutely love how knowledgeable you are and how it's so crazy that actually, you know, something that this big challenge that happened to you and going through all of these issues actually made you dive deeper into that. And now you have so much knowledge that it's absolutely crazy. I feel like I could be asking infinite number of questions. I'm like, okay, tell me a bit more of that, a bit more about that, a bit more about that. <laughs> Would you actually, if, if I ask you, if you could go back and never have this gut health issues, would you go for that? Or would you say that it was worth it? And now you see why you had to go through this challenge. 
I, I would, I wouldn't change a thing, which is so crazy because when I was in, in the pits of it, I was like, why is this happening to me? I feel horrible. Like I need to get out of this. This is the worst thing ever. But like, yeah, in hindsight, I understand why it happened to me and it completely propelled me into this different career that I never thought I would ever have. So yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. And I can imagine you can also relate to your clients a lot because if somebody is having issues and you also know how they feel, you can help them so much more than somebody who just has all this knowledge, but has not suffered themselves. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it too, because when you're, when you have stomach issues and like, I'm sure people listening that have stomach issues know, like it is really hard and it really affects you emotionally. Like it affects your confidence. It affects your social life. Like it really takes a toll on you. And so the emotional and like mental component is something I really work on my clients with. because it is really hard. It's a hard thing mm. to deal with. And a lot of people don't understand. And they think that you're overreacting. Like if you're like, Oh, I have a stomach ache. Like I can't eat that. They're like, okay, suck it up. It's a stomach ache. But it's like, no, it's way more than a stomach ache. Like it's a real, <laughs> it's a real issue for a lot of people. And since I went through that emotionally, like, yeah, I, I think I can connect to my clients a lot better because of it. Yeah. And I love that you also mentioned a lot about stress management and mindset about around food and how much it just your relationship with food, how much that influences how we feel as well. And that whole emotional mindset aspect of it. So how bad is it for us actually to eat when we are stressed and what, it, why is it actually bad for us? Yeah. So obviously realistically, it's not realistic to never eat when we're stressed, right? Like we live in such stressful lives. Like there's so much going on all the time. So yeah, it's not realistic to say like never eat when you're stressed. because you probably just would never eat, but it's really important to like take a deep breath, calm down, like make sure you're in a good headspace before you have a meal. Like at least try your best because our nervous system is regulating so much. So our nervous system has two like states of being. We have the parasympathetic nervous system and then the sympathetic nervous system. And the parasympathetic nervous system is like the state we want to be in when we're, when we're eating. It's called rest and digest for a reason, right? Like we want to be like resting and digesting while we're eating food. And so if we're stressed out and we're in the sympathetic state, that slows our digestion or stops mm. because like think about like in the old days, this is like a really um, extreme example, but like if you're running away from like a tiger, like something's chasing you, that's your body in a sympathetic state. And so your body in that moment is siphoning all its energy to running away from the tiger and survival. And digestion is the last thing that your body is focused on. And so it's going to shut it down or like really, really slow it down to focus in other areas. And in our environment now, like your body doesn't really notice the difference. Like it doesn't know the difference between being chased from a tiger mm. or like your boss is like yelling at you at work. Like it's kind of the same thing. Um, that's not the same thing, but you know what I mean? <laughs> and so if you're <laughs> almost, almost the same thing. you're just hiding from your boss in the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> running away from the tiger, hiding from the boss. <laughs> yeah. But you're, that's putting your body in a 
very sympathetic state. And so like all these stressors that we're having daily, that's slowing down or stopping our digestion. And we don't want that, especially if we have gut issues. Like we want everything to be flowing as it should. We want our digestion to be seamless. And so it's really important to make sure that we're calm and in a good headspace while we're eating. So our digestion doesn't slow down or shut off. Yeah. And do you personally also manage to be mostly calm when you eat? And have you always been like that? Or for you, was it also a journey of learning how to eat in a calm, more relaxed state? It's definitely been a journey. Um, and it's, it's honestly hard to remember a lot of the time. Like I'm not always super calm when I eat, but I really, really try it and be like, you know, sometimes you're halfway through a meal and you, you realize like, oh, I'm scrolling on my phone or I'm not paying attention. I'm not eating slowly. I'm not chewing my food enough, but it's, it's a mm. practice. Like it's something that you have to remind yourself of constantly. Um, and like really make like eating a ritual, like make it like a self-care mm. type of thing. That's how I try and frame it. And I think that really mm. helps. I think it's it's so important because also for me personally, I noticed that when I eat and I'm stressed, I almost feel like I'm not hungry actually, and that I'm almost like stuffing the food, and I'm like, this could not be good. That, that that doesn't even feel good. I don't really even want that food. I should be hungry, you know. Like I have not eaten. I should be hungry, but you're definitely just in such a stressed state that your body is like running away from a tiger. They don't want to eat at this moment. They just want to get that something done. You know, it could be a, a project deadline that you're working toward that your brain has not evolved to understand that it's just a project deadline and not running away from a tiger and not a death threat and uh, <laughs> that you can still eat and digest. But I just found it so interesting that our bodies actually are so wise and they intuitively feel what's right and what's not. And like, especially like for you, because your body will know so much better than anyone else can just like tell you. So just like tuning into how I'm feeling when I meet you has been so important because then I can actually adjust my behavior accordingly. Yeah. And I think that's such a really, it's, it's an honestly a skill. Like it's, I think obviously it, was natural at one point when you were a kid, you're like, okay, I'm hungry and I'm going to stop when I'm full. But I think over time, as we grow up, we become so disconnected from our bodies and from those cues. And so it is a skill to kind of like relearn that stuff, but it, it makes mm. you feel right? Mm. And what, what is, what are your thoughts on intermittent fasting? Because it's another trend that's appearing and I see lots of people doing that. So what do you personally think about that? I think, I think it can be used as a tool short term to maybe like lower inflammation or get your hunger cues regulated depending on the person, but it's not great for women. So a lot of the research that they've done on intermittent fasting has been done on men and men's mm. bodies and women's bodies are just so drastically different. Like Women are so mm. like regulated and driven by hormones and mm. a lot of us are really high cortisol. Our adrenals are like burnt out. And so if we're waking up and we're not eating till like noon or 2 PM because we're intermittent fasting, that's not great for our hormones. Um, mm. We really need to pay more attention to our hormones and like tuning in and listening to our bodies 
rather than like mm. moving in the other direction and kind of ignoring our hunger cues. Um, mm. I think if you're going to do intermittent fasting, it's good to do it at night, like eat your last meal earlier, maybe at like six or seven and then like fast overnight quotation air quotes. Mm. <laughs> um, and then, you know, wake up and eat in the morning. I think if you're going to do it, that's a better way to do it. Mm, this is so interesting because I think it's the first time I'm hearing that there's actually a difference of the influence of intermediate fasting on men and women, because I've re- I've heard a lot about the benefits, but I never really knew that it was mostly done for men. So it's very interesting that you bring that topic up because it's also as well, there's so much information out there and just to understand <laughs> which one is actually applicable to us and what we should follow is so, it could be so confusing. So I love that you mentioned that and that for women, it's hormones actually play such a big role. And I think we feel it. We feel it. We feel the hormones. <laughs> so we know actually like how big of a role they play. <laughs> Lucky us. <laughs> and what are some of the things that people can do to actually prevent having any gut health issues? Because I think there's a lot of things people can do to actually heal their guts and already deal with the problems. But how would actually one does, how does one approach it to actually not even have the problems in the first place? If there is that's such actually, a way, if there is a magic way, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no magic way, but that's a really good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. And I think, I mean, the whole premise of health, I think should be prevention. Like, I think we're so focused on eradicating the problem once it's there or like once it's really bad. Um, but prevention is super important. And I think the biggest thing probably is avoiding eating too much ultra processed foods because that's mm. going to throw off your microbial balance. Like artificial sweeteners are a huge one. Um, mm. you know, inflammatory oils, taking like too many antibiotics when they're not necessary. Antibiotics are the most over prescribed like medication. And if you take too many mm. rounds, obviously, you know, if you need an antibiotic because you have something going on, like take it. But make sure you ask your doctor, like, is this 100% necessary? Because the Mm. more you take, the more wiped out your microbiome is going to be. And I think that's where people start to run into issues because I know I've taken a ton of antibiotics in my life. um, And I'm sure that played a role in like all of my digestive issues. So Mm. things like that, like just make sure the medications you're taking are 100% necessary. Try and eat like whole natural foods from the earth. That make you feel good don't like over consume alcohol just stuff like that that i think we all know um but just mm-hmm. like take care of your body eat right make sure you're feeling good and if you start feeling off address it and like make the shifts that you think are necessary mm-hmm. so i think it's more about mm-hmm. like don't wait until it gets really really bad like if you start to feel a little something something like <laughs> fix the problem there instead of waiting until it's like a huge issue for you yeah i almost feel like it's female mindset to wait until it's unbearable because i feel like we can suffer so much until we actually take action why do you see why do you think is that or also do you find that your clients or the people that you coach also actually waited until it was too bad and then they came actually for help yes no i think that's so true i don't know why women do that i think 
I don't know if it's like a woman thing or I think maybe it is a woman thing because I think we have a really high pain tolerance and we just want to like push through things. Most of the time, I know it's like a very general blanket statement, but I do see a lot with my clients. Like my clients are very perfectionist. They don't want to like tell people when they feel crappy, like maybe it's a little bit embarrassing for them. Um, they don't want to come off as like weak. So I think, mm. I think we push things off for that reason. And then we mm. hit a point where we're like, okay, like I can't actually live like this. I need to change something. Um, or they just like sweep it under the rug. Like, oh, it'll get better by itself. Like it'll resolve itself or my body is broken. Like, this is just the way that I am. And like, I don't want to talk about it, whatever. So I think there's a number of reasons why we do that. But yeah, I definitely see that, especially with gut issues. People don't address it until it's gotten to the point where it's unbearable. Mm. So if someone starts even feeling a bit bad and they want to address it, what should they do? So if someone watching now, it's now really rethinking their life, like, oh, like maybe I should take some action. What would be a good first step? I think one addressing like the stressors in your life, that's going to be a huge thing. And then just start paying attention to the ingredients in your food. Like when you buy something, flip it over, read the ingredient list and like, just start to notice different things. If you don't know what an ingredient is, Google it. Um, I also have some resources on my Instagram that you can see if, you know, it's something that you should avoid or if it's something that's fine. But I think just starting to pick up that awareness of the ingredients that are in the things that you're having daily, like multiple times a day, because I think a lot of people, we take these like health supplements or we choose like an almond milk or like an energy drink or something that we think is healthier or like a protein bar. And it's actually because of the greenwashing or the marketing, it's actually not that great for your gut. Maybe it's great for like building muscle or the protein content and it's really good but there might be artificial sweeteners and other things that are throwing you off. So I think just having the awareness of the ingredients in your food is a good place to start. Mm. You know, when I started actually reading ingredients at the back of the foods, I was shocked. I was shocked. I was like, what, what this one thing that just looks like it has one ingredient has like 50 different ingredients. It's crazy. And then you start going, it's even hard to do shopping because you're going down the supermarket aisle, you just pick something up, you read, you find poison, you find, put it back on the shelf, you continue <laughs> find poison, we just put it back on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really eye-opening. It's, it's wild. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> so before I ask my last question, where can people connect with you, reach out to you, reach out for help as well, if they want to take even more than just one step and actually take their gut health serious, seriously. And for those that have tried so many different things and nothing is working, they finally decide to address the gut. Yeah. Um, my Instagram, I have a ton of free resources on there. It's underscore graceful wellness. And then my TikTok, I have a ton of videos on gut health on there too. Um, graceful dot wellness. And then my website is gracefulnutrition.net and all the links to everything are in my Instagram bio too. That's so cool. And, uh, I just love the name grace, like the play of words. It's so great. <laughs> it's also so easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And my last question would be, if what would be your biggest future regret for your personal life? So let's imagine you are 80 years old and you're looking back on your life and you think, I really wish I did that thing. I wish I really wish I went for that and I didn't. And I feel very, it's my biggest regret. So now you have not done it yet at this stage of your life, but what would it be? Gosh, what a good question. <laughs> this question always, uh, people are like, oh my God, I was not prepared to get this question. <laughs> I love it. I think um, something I've, this has nothing to do with health. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, I think something that I've always wanted to do is like, go be like a digital nomad. Like I really want to go and live in different countries for a couple months and just like, like two years, just take two years to go and like live all over the world and like switch it up every couple of months. So I think that's something that if I didn't do when I'm older, I'd be like, dang, I wish I did that before I had too many responsibilities. So that's something that I've been actually thinking about a lot lately. Um, so I think that would be it. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I hope you do get to do that because especially you have so ma so much of online community and maybe you'll get to meet people also that follow you from other cities. And if you come to Europe, I, I live in Amsterdam, so I would be love, I would love to meet you in person as well. I would love that. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I think it's on my, I think it's in my future. I don't know when, but hopefully soon. <laughs> Beautiful. Grace, thank you so much for coming onto the show and thank you so much for raising awareness about gut health and doing it in such a graceful way. <laughs> I love your videos uh, and reels. They're so educational and so easy to follow. So guys, if uh, you're not yet following Grace, please go ahead and check out her content. She shares so much that it's even crazy that all of that is for free. So please do so. Grace, thank you so much again. Oh, thank you so much for having me.